your Bibles, I'm going to be reading from uh, Matthew chapter 6, and uh, this will be our scripture reading for our teaching today, beginning in verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. And pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is God's word. We're starting a a new series today focused on the Lord's Prayer, and uh, we're looking at the Lord's Prayer from Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus not only teaches us about prayer, but he also gives us a model prayer. It's just a model, really. Now, as a model prayer, Jesus is teaching us how to pray, not necessarily what to pray. He's not saying, when you pray, you can only use these words. So the question that we want to be exploring over this series of lessons is this question, what is Jesus trying to teach us in this model prayer? Some people are are quite unsure what to do with the Lord's Prayer, except for maybe uh, to recite it or pray it at odd times. I remember well my lack of glory days in high school on the gridiron. Uh, We had moved from Central America to South America, okay, South Texas, the summer right before my freshman year of high school. And, And unless you lived in Texas, you understand that it's an understatement to say that football is a big deal in Texas. You see, it's kind of like Mulan. Uh, Every family member is required to send one male child into the battlefield of football if you live in Texas. So I did my part, as a good Texan would do, and it didn't take me long to realize that I had made a mistake joining the football team. Now, it probably didn't help that at that time in my life, I was barely five foot five and almost 90 pounds. Look at me now. I mean, what can I say, right? I'm an overachiever. I've never really been overweight in my life. I've just been under tall, you know, and those of you who can relate, you understand. I don't think that I will ever forget our first game when we ran out onto the field And we huddled there in the end zone, and coach told us all to take a knee. And 
there, under the glimmer of the goalposts, the coach asked us to join him in reciting the Lord's Prayer. Now, growing up in Central America, which is my default excuse for a lot of things that I don't know or am not aware of, there were a few things about American culture that I I didn't know or didn't understand. Uh, For example, the Pledge of Allegiance was something that I I didn't know. I didn't, didn't grow up saying it. So, any time at school when the Pledge of Allegiance was recited, I just, I had to mumble my way through it and uh, pretend to be patriotic. So, there in the, uh, in the end zone that day, that first game when the coach is asking us to recite the Lord's Prayer, it triggered another thing for me, see, because growing up in our specialized, distinctive, idiocentric religious tradition— I didn't really know the Lord's Prayer either. Uh, it's not something that we recited all that often, if, if at all, growing up. And so, when the Lord's Prayer was being recited in the end zone of that every game, I just had to, I just had to mumble my way through it and pretend to be religious. I never understood the connection between the Lord's Prayer and a football game. I never understood why we were reciting the Lord's Prayer before each game. You see, because never once during halftime or in the post-game recap did the coach ever say, listen up, we're not executing on offense like we should. Uh, We're not being aggressive on defense like we should. What we need to do is work harder on the Lord's Prayer. Never happened. Not once. And, And even after a win right? I never heard coach in the after-game speech after a win say, now that's how you do it, boys. See, that's why we work on the Lord's Prayer and say it right before each game. As I said, I never quite understood the connection of saying the Lord's Prayer right before a football game. Many people are taught to see the Lord's Prayer simply as a compulsory set of words to recite, just in case. It's almost as if it's some kind of prosaic, perfunctory incantation. It's a form or a formula of religious words that that we need to repeat in case of emergency. You know, one of those, in case of emergency, break glass kind of things. And I wonder, is that what Jesus left for us in the model prayer? Or did he intend for us to find so much more? Now, I want to just speak for just a second on the the structure of the Lord's Prayer. If you notice that the structure of the Lord's Prayer, both in Matthew and in the Gospel of Luke, which is a much simpler version of their prayer, it's, it's a simple prayer. It's very simple. And not only is it simple, but it's, it's, it's very memorable the lines in their succession. There's a flow to it, a a continuity in this prayer. Uh, It starts at one point and and, and ends at another. Now, if if you're looking at the Lord's Prayer in Matthew, you'll notice that it's been divided up into eight lines, eight lines. The first line of the Lord's Prayer is, it's a line of praise, proclaiming the worth and the goodness of the name of the Lord. And then the next seven lines in the Lord's Prayer, 
their, their petitions. But they're very specific petitions. And in these petitions, after we have given honor and, and given glory due to the name of the Lord, each, seven of, each one of these seven petitions, we are proclaiming our dependence on God, our need for Him in our daily life and in the experiences of daily life. So, I hope that what we're going to find together is that Jesus is inviting us into a different arena. He's inviting us into a larger theme of kingdom life. Not that we should get lost or absorbed by the word choices or earthly themes, but that we could be caught up in the reality of a kingdom that that cannot be shaken. So, Jesus seems to be saying... When you pray, have a big picture in mind. Have a big picture in mind. Keep keep an eternal perspective in mind. Don't don't get so lost. Don't get so bogged down in, in the small details of life. Your Father knows what you need. And so in this Lord prayer, we're being confronted with the reality, this tension in our life that we face between the spiritual and between the physical. See, the Lord's prayer is calling us to consider this conflict between the earthly kingdom and the heavenly kingdom. We live on this earth, and because we live on this earth, we are consumed by the things of this earth. Rich Mullins is right to sing the stuff of earth competes for the allegiance that I owe only to the giver of all good things. And so maybe we can look at these series of lessons as we examine the Lord's Prayer, that it's calling us upward, that it's imploring us to to fix our gaze on something else, to change our perspective. That the Lord's Prayer is inviting us into a higher, nobler, deeper, truer reality of our calling in the heavenly kingdom. The Lord's Prayer is an invitation. It's, it's beckoning us to find God, to encounter Him, to discover God in the fullness of the relationship as Jesus modeled with Him. So, no, no. Absolutely not. These are not just formula words. These words that Jesus has given us are words to teach our hearts how to trust in God. And so the Lord's Prayer is is less concerned with ritual and more concerned with relationship. The Lord's Prayer is less concerned with correct procedure and more concerned with the truth of who God is. The Lord's Prayer is not so much a a set of words to recite, but a revelation of who God is. So last week when we were looking at what Jesus was teaching us about prayer, we learned that Jesus was teaching us there are two ways to pray as a religious person, and as a gospel-shaped person. And if you move in Matthew from this teaching of Jesus about these two ways to pray, and you move right in as Jesus does when He says, and when you pray. 
you notice that these words are not the words of a religious person. These words are a word, are a gospel-shaped person. See, you can pray these words in the Lord's Prayer as a religious person. You can pray, and the focus of your prayer can be on your performance, your effort, your work. And the problem with this way of prayer is that this kind of prayer is, is nothing more than a, a business transaction. That's all it is. It's a conditional relationship. This kind of prayer says, God, I will do this if you will do this. It's a contractual relationship. You, you see, what this approach of prayer says, it says, listen, God, um, if you do this one thing for me, then I will do several things for you. And so what happens is that, and, and, and usually it means, God, if you, if you get me out of this mess, then I'll, I'll read my Bible, I'll, I'll pray more, I'll, I'll go to church, and, and Lord, I'd even be willing to consider volunteering in the nursery. If you just do this one thing for me. The problem with this kind of approach to prayer is that it changes over time into something that is more desperate and more dangerous. It changes into, God, because of all that I have done, then you owe me this. You owe me this. See, the prayer of a religious person creates a bargain with God that's based on your criteria, that's based on your performance. It's your bargain that you've set up. So, so I ask you, what happens then when God doesn't fulfill the part of His bargain that you've created? Only, only two things can happen. You're either going to have to drop the bargain you created, or you're going to have to drop God. It's the only two options. But there's an alternative. You can pray as a gospel-shaped person. The gospel-shaped person and their prayer and their prayer life is focused on the goodness of God. It's focused on God's faithfulness. And this approach to prayer, it looks to the record of Jesus and the performance of Jesus as the basis of a relationship with God and as a basis of prayer. Not just why we can pray, but that we can have a conversation with God, that we can talk to Him as a friend, that we can talk to Him as a father. This kind of approach, this kind of prayer, it's seeking to have an experience with God, an encounter with God. It, it looks to prayer as an invitation into a realm of awe and a realm of intimacy with Him. This kind of prayer doesn't even have to say words to spend time in relationship with Him. Because this type of prayer, the gospel-shaped prayer, the gospel-shaped person, it's looking to God on the basis of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So, here's the difference. A religious person prays to an impersonal God. A gospel-shaped person prays to a personal God. A religious person prays to a, a heavenly being, a, a piece of ground, to a pole, or to even a statue. But a gospel-shaped person prays to a heavenly Father. 
A religious person prays to a tyrant or a dictator, but a gospel-shaped person prays to a dad. Yes. A religious person prays to a poor excuse for a father, but a gospel-shaped person prays to the one who establishes and models what fatherhood means. A religious person prays to find favor, to get favors from an annoyed father, but a gospel-shaped person prays from the approval of God, a father who delights in them. So how you approach prayer and how you approach God in large part determines not only how you pray, what you feel you have to say, but it also dictates what you pray, what you feel like you need to say, or even those times in your life when you know you don't have to say anything. But it also determines what you're expecting from prayer. If you're in prayer and your prayer life exists for the sake of outcomes, or you're just trying to find the heart of God. This is the first thing that Jesus teaches us about prayer. And this is what we're going to see over the next few weeks that Jesus is teaching us about the Lord's Prayer. So, don't be afraid to pray the Lord's Prayer. Don't be afraid. It can be a way to break the ice. It can be the way to start your prayer life. It can be a way to talk to God. It can be a way to be silent before Him. It can be a way to examine the contents of your heart. It can be a way to reorder your loves, to to fix the priorities of the desires in your life. You, You can pray the words of this prayer in the Lord's Prayer when your heart and your mouth can't find any other words to say. You can pray these words when you're happy. You can pray these words when you're sad. You can pray these words when you're angry, when you're struggling, when you're anxious. You can pray these words when your life is turned upside down, and you can pray these words when your life is right side up. Don't be afraid to pray these words. Augustine is said to have spent extended time in contemplation slowly deliberately thanking deeply on the Lord's Prayer word by word. It said that he would go about his day contemplating on the Lord's Prayer just one word at a time. Imagine that. It said that he would take a day and he would, he would go throughout the routine of his day, but on that one day, his thoughts, his heart would just go to our, our. He'd spend the whole day thinking about that word. And then, and then the next day, he would spend the whole day thinking about Father, Father. Just as he went about his day, I wonder what would happen if we tried such an approach. So I, I invite you this week to think deeply on the first line in the Lord's Prayer, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Go through your day this week. Just take one word, one word a day. And focus deeply. Contemplate on just that one word. All the implications of the word our. 
all the implications of the word father. And, and spend some time in that this week. And, and next week, Lord willing, and the snowbanks don't rise, we'll spend our time together looking at this one great word. We call him Father. Let's pray. Father, would you teach us how to pray? Would you teach us how to pray in such a way that we can find you? We want nothing more out of prayer but you. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would apply this teaching, these words to our heart through Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen.